Hello, music lovers. I'm Leonard Slatkin, music director of the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, and you're tuned in to the Well-Tempered Wireless on WRCJ-FM HD1 Detroit. That's absolutely true. And uh, what's even better is Maestro Leonard Slatkin is here live. So good to see you, sir. And, and you're looking hale and hearty. Hearty is the right word. <laughs> in this case, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm feeling uh, pretty good. I have had through bypass surgery six weeks ago. So I'm about halfway through the recovery stage, approximately. And the sad thing was, of course, I had to cancel all kinds of appearances, including the final three concerts I was supposed yeah. to lead here. So that's an odd kind of farewell, I suppose. But uh, now I seem to be okay, and the doctors are happy. I'm happy. So glad to hear that. And, and I want to say right off the, the bat here that you are not retiring. This is yes, not- thank you very much. I've gotten so many messages that you are stopping conducting. No, yeah, I'm no, not, no how not can I let all. a little thing like bypass surgery keep me from doing that? Yeah, it's nothing. It's not a problem. <laughs> no, what I'm doing is basically after 41 years of being a music director, I'm just hanging up that part of the profession. So no more administrative work. Just time to focus on the conducting and the music. Just fun. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, and you'll be back next season for five weeks in mm-hmm. the course of the season, including opening night. and Throughout uh, the first baton. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the, uh, the American Festival mm-hmm. in February, and then the, uh, the wrap-up at the end of the season. Um, I ha- we found, in getting ready for this, your very first appearance— on WRCJ, and the first time actually that I met you, ten years ago, two thousand eight, the occasion was the Symphony Bowl. Yeah, and you were uh, the Grand Marshal of a three blimp flyby that was a little behind. And our our correspondent Jimmy Rhodes uh, established a downlink to talk to you about it. And where I was, where I was in Europe. You were no. you were in a blimp. Well, yeah, that's right. I you were leading. That's you were, right. That's it was right. a three blimp formation. That's right. And you were in, in the lead blimp. And nobody's supposed to know which blimp I'm in, just in case. You know, well, you were, you were the, grand, the grand marshal. Take it down like Black so. Sunday. <laughs> no. Uh, and interestingly, at this point in the proceedings, the Detroit Symphony had not made it to the Symphony Bowl yet. They would later, but at this point, not yet. So here's here's how that went. Hey, Chris, I'm in the Flight Operations Center, and the technicians here have man- managed to establish a downlink to the lead blimp. Uh, right now, speaking to us live from Bucks to Huda's Revenge, is the Symphony Bowl's honorary blimp marshal, Leonard Slatkin. Maestro, how's it going up there? What? C- could you speak up? We're having a little bit of trouble hearing Maestro? you. Maestro? Oh, yeah, I hear you. Jimmy, hello. It's spectacular up here. Jimmy, I'm, I'm sorry, though, we're a bit behind, but Commander Dietrich tells me we seem to have caught the edge of a jet stream and the headwinds are holding us up a bit. In fact, I'm not even sure we're getting anywhere near the bowl. Uh, anyway, hopefully we'll be there in a few minutes and we'll be talking to you soon. Back to you. Well, Maestro, we're really looking forward to it. I know it's going to be spectacular. Now, tell me, uh, we have a little bit of time here. The DSO, uh, the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, for years has been such a fine organization, but for some mysterious reason, they've never appeared in a symphony bowl. 
as their new music director. What are your plans for getting the DSO to the big dance? What? Plans on, on getting to, yeah, get, the, to, to the big chance? Get the, big dance. Oh, the big dance. The big dance. Sorry about that. Yes, I think we have a good opportunity now. You know, um, it won't take too long for us to get there. We got the right coaching people in place. We have the right staff. We have the right players. There's no reason we can't go all the way. So get your popcorn ready. Uh, uh, Maestro Slacken, let me ask you, uh, are we going to see the blimp formation before the end of the Symphony Bowl? Do you have any plans, uh, or your commander Dietrich, any plans to get here? Well, I think we can probably get there. I'm a little worried about the two behind me, though. They tend to be slower. Just a second. Commander Dietrich's informed me we're going to vent some helium. we got some problem with our lift. Let's get ourselves down a little bit so we can really hone in on the action. Okay, Jimmy, let me tell you this. It's been spectacular so far. The view is great. There's not a cloud in the ceiling. There's nothing for anybody to worry about. It's been a great bowl so far. The fact that the Philharmonic from New York is fighting tooth and nail against the Boston Symphony, one seasoned veteran against a really seasoned veteran, who knows what the end result's going to be, but I can tell you this. We're going to be there soon enough, and we can take both of them on. Okay, uh, Maestro, be careful up there. Chris, Joan, there's still hope that we'll see our three blimp formation fly by, and I, for one, can't wait. Back to you. <laughs> I should point out, in case anybody's worried, that there was no actual helium used in that bit. Oh, I didn't remember it that way. <laughs> you were such a good sport. <laughs> that was uh, fun. Coming in uh, and, and uh, always with a sense of humor. Uh, when did you decide, and how did you decide that the move to Detroit was right for you, that it was? This was about 11 and a half years ago. I had come to conduct as a guest while they were having their search, just having wrapped up my tenure in Washington, D.C., or about to wrap it up. And I wasn't looking to take another orchestra. I really wasn't. In fact, I had not even thought that there was a vacancy here. I just came as a guest. Mm. But it was really clear after the first day that something special was going on. We were having a terrific time with the orchestra. It was my first time conducting an orchestra hall. And as the week progressed, a lot of our board members were on Mackinac Island. And they started mm. drifting back because they heard, hey, this seems to be good. So we began discussions and I said, you know, this is not like first date and you get married. I said, we have to arrange something else to see if this was not just a one-off situation. So we worked out that I would go to Meadowbrook that summer. I did one Beethoven program. And then they said, you, uh, you don't have to conduct the other program. It's just a Pops concert. I said, no, I'm perfectly comfortable doing that. And it was a program with the Von Trapp family singers. <laughs> That's and right. I think in yeah. a funny way, it, it was... The sound of music that got me the job, because all of a sudden they were seeing a conductor very conversant in more than just one language, and I was having a ball. And I thought, you know, this could be interesting. And it was sealed by so many people telling me, you know, the Detroit Symphony has some real severe economic problems. We foresee a labor problem in two years. And I started hearing those things, and I went, I have to be here. It's what I do at least in the role as a music director. And it was important for me to be here at that time. 
Well, I, I remember you talking to the audience. I think it was the first time I saw you in Orchestra Hall, and and you are very good at breaking that fourth wall and, and speaking to the uh, the music lovers. Uh, but you, I, I, it might have been an an, in an answer to a question, uh, said that you, you keep getting asked the same question and you're getting a little tired of it. And it was, why why Detroit? Why would you yeah. come to Detroit? I did get asked that quite often, and still do actually. You, know, you just asked it down. I, so, I guess I did. Um, the challenge was too intriguing to turn down. It really was. Uh, I also found a real spirit in the community, one that was going through some terrible times, as we all remember. And that's when I started formulating how we would turn this around. So working with members of the orchestra, the board, radio station, we started to put together a plan so that when the strike occurred, I wasn't involved at all. People think I was, but I, I really didn't. I didn't take any sides. I don't. I know some of my colleagues do, but I, I just don't feel comfortable working f- with the board and leading the orchestra. I'm sort of in the no man's land in the middle. Mm. But I did meet with everybody on a regular basis so that when the work stoppage ended, we had not only an exit strategy, but a real plan for how we would move ahead. And boy, did we do it, and quickly. I was stunned at how everybody rallied behind the orchestra. And I learned how much an arts institution can mean to a city when it's just in the process of trying to rebuild, much in the same way of that wonderful lesson we learned of how much the public wanted to support the DIA when they were on the chopping block. Yeah. It's been a remarkable time to see how powerful the arts can be and what it means. How would you say the orchestra was different after the strike than it was before the strike? Well, they certainly were demoralized. Their salaries had been slashed, uh, the number of weeks cut back, size of the orchestra cut back. You don't recover from that in one, two, or three seasons. You have to regain the trust of the orchestra, and the orchestra has to trust its management and board. But this takes a long time for it to heal. And the good thing is we have, as the constant, the music. Mm. So I don't care what you're going through and how difficult it is, when you're up there playing Beethoven and Brahms and Schubert and Mahler, whoever it happens to be, you are transported to this world that doesn't know that there are boundaries such as wages, living conditions, cost of living, all those things. They go away for those moments that we immerse ourselves into the music. So I found, even though it was a dispirited group at the time, they were 100% committed to their music making and have Mm -hmm. continued that to this day. I, I think there was a. It seemed to me there was a, there was a, a very distinct change on both sides. That that going into it, it was um, shall we say aggressive, but then faced, it was vicious. 
faced with the the possibility of extinction, uh, both sides uh, said, "Hey, wait a second. Let's let's look at this." And yeah, I think that there were realizations on everybody's part. We hear a lot this phrase: "We are rebranding. We're changing the way orchestras do things. All that." Well, that's that's all well and good, but. We're not really doing that. What we're doing is finding different ways to reach people in a broader community. So when we started the sound card for young people, when we scaled back our pricing system, when we started playing in the neighborhoods, reaching out into the communities, when we started the internet streaming, all these things really based themselves in what we do Mostly, traditionally. So our programming downtown and in the neighborhoods hasn't changed all that much. Yes, there's a lot of new music. I brought an emphasis on American, of course. But basically, it's still the same experience. You come into the concert hall, and for the most part, you sit as a listener, and you're taken to these worlds. You go wherever the music takes you. So we didn't fall victim I use that word advisedly, to something that I see and, frankly, to me is disturbing, and that's trying to put visuals to everything. Mm. Yeah, it works in certain occasions, but the most obvious example was something that traveled around, and maybe they even did it here, uh, using host planets with footage from NASA. Well, host planets are not about astronomy. They're about (laughs) astrology. That's right. So if you're going to put images up, you know, I have to be a little more make-believe than that. And... We already live in a visual enough age. That's why radio is so wonderful. Radio allows everybody to just use their thought process to envision what's being seen. Those of us sitting in the room are old enough to remember the old, say, suspense radio or <laughs> things like that. What was it? What was the the, the, the shadow. Helen Trent? Ooh, what was that? Helen? Well, she had a there was a yeah, the shadow, all that, and you had to use your head and think about what it might look like, which is always much scarier or more romantic than it really could have been. The visual is something that stays emblazoned in our brains. So you hear a piece of music. If your mind goes to, say, the music video of that song or what you might have seen in the concert hall, you're missing the point. We deal mostly in the abstract, mostly. And that's something we need to really remember because I do worry for our profession that we're moving a little bit too quickly and too fast to try to change things as opposed to just making some minor corrections along the way to attract new audiences. Having some faith in the product. Absolutely. And faith in your public. There you go. Um, And there there have been a number of of highlights that uh, come to mind Carnegie Hall, the Ives symphonies, mm-hmm. the four Ives, that had never been done before. Had no, it? nobody ever did it any place. And we didn't even do it here in Detroit. We played them all, but not on the same night. Um, the Seven Deadly Sins, yeah. Kurt Vile, and Storm Large. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, that was, in fact, last April, uh, Storm was here, and uh, we had a chance to talk to her, and she had something to say unsolicited Um about you. Hmm. Here, here's what she said. 
Uh, I have to give most uh, most credit though to uh, Maestro Slatkin because he. This was my first. I've I had sung with an orchestra before, but this really was my first official kind of foray into classical music. And Leonard Slatkin is a legend, and to be my first conductor in that kind of environment, especially when we were headed to Carnegie Hall, mm-hmm. um, and he had to trust me, this kind of unknown, um, but sort of only known as a punk rock kind of, uh, you know, wild child, but the respect he treated me with it, immediately. I didn't even, he treated me like a peer absolutely straight, straight away, gave me so much confidence and he was so much fun to work with. And I love his wife, Cindy, and the, everybody was so welcoming and to, you know, a, a former little runaway little rat kid, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a lot um, because a lot was riding on my performance and sure. yet they treated me, as an equal and it was it 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 gave me the confidence to do that piece how did he know you could do it i don't know you'll have to ask him i actually i should ask him that well i'll i'll ask you that how did you know she could do it because i knew her work from in particular pink martini and some of the solo stuff she did i felt right away that there was an innate musicality in her soul hmm that she was able to project the meaning of the texts in a way that everybody could understand it and that made sense with the music. She was flexible when it came to my suggestion about a a tempo change here or there. And since uh, we've done it a couple times together and she's become a dear friend and I get to see her on Saturday night. We should talk a little bit about that, but she certainly Storm Large is is one of the most formidable artists I've ever seen. Oh, just yeah. in, in terms of the range of her voice uh, and the subtlety in her performance, but this Saturday uh, the eighth annual Heroes Gala will be given in Orchestra Hall, uh, honoring philanthropists Penny and Harold Blumenstein, as well as our music director Leonard Slatkin. With Teddy Abrams conducting, Storm Large will be there, Michelle Camillo, the Detroit Symphony. It's going to be a great program. It starts at 7 o'clock, and tickets are still available for the concert. And if you're feeling generous, and we urge you to do so, because the the proceeds from this concert will uh, benefit music education, which is something that is desperately in need of some help. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, there's a a, a black... (coughs) Is it black tie? It's it black, tie black tie for those tie who are going to the festivities for the, afterwards. For the dinner. The dinner. Yeah, there's a, and, and you can find out more information about all of that at uh, dso.org. Uh, and uh, and it might be worth checking out. But but the, the concert itself is, is regular uh, prices. And some, I, I do, you know, I'm supposed to, I literally don't know anything about the program. I have no idea what it is. They said we want it all to be a surprise and fun you for, for you. I know who the soloists are. Obviously, I know the conductor. And my son's coming out. Fantastic. So you get a chance to meet him. And if you want to know more about him, you go to Daniel Slatkin, whatever his website is. And you can watch his first film as a film composer. It's on Netflix. It's called Making Fun. What is it's about a company called Funco, which makes bobblehead dolls. But it's mostly about the people who collect these things. 
huh. who seem to have no lives, but that's okay. <laughs> well, there are a lot of ways to do that, I yeah. suppose. Uh, just a chip off the old block, eh? Well, I was surprised. He didn't seem to want to go that direction for most of his uh, childhood. In fact, we thought, if anything, he, if he was going to be in part of music, it would be more in the management end of things, perhaps running an agency for rock artists or a producer, something like that. And then all of a sudden, no, I want to compose. And he's turned out to be really okay. good. Okay. What luck. Yeah. Good, good genes. Yeah, um, just, you know, I, I think the next Avengers film, he needs to do it. And then his old man can really consider retiring. <laughs> okay, he's got a plan. Uh, more information again on the, uh, the Heroes Gala at dso.org slash heroes. And we were talking about some uh, highlights over the last 10 years. And the Asia tour has to certainly be... Yeah. If not near the top, it's certainly among the top three. I don't know. Well, I, I, certainly it, it was important for the orchestra. They hadn't done an international tour in, what was it, 15, 16 years, whatever it was. In a while. And even though projects like that are expensive, they serve several purposes. One, with the exception of my former orchestra, the National Symphony, every other major orchestra carries the name of either their state or their city, wherever they go. Most products that are produced in that city, though, do not. So we have our fantastic automobile companies. But there's, as far as I know, no car called the Detroit or the Michigan. Mm. But we are the Detroit Symphony. So we do send a message from this city to the places we go. And... People are constantly amazed at the quality. We didn't know you had such an orchestra. There was something on the web the other day. Some Somebody said, I didn't know about them, but I watched their webcast. This is like the second best orchestra in the country. Of course, we're <laughs> going to object to that, obviously. Uh, but um, there's, it, it's been such a positive thing, and the tours help emphasize that because you're greeted by an audience that doesn't know you. Yeah. They only know us from the recordings and the broadcasts. So here we were being really received rapturously by every audience, every place. And the look on the musicians' faces at the concerts, it, it would just tell it all. You knew that they were proud of themselves. And they knew how proud I was of them. It was a, a tremendous accomplishment. It was a, a national accomplishment, really. It was good for the it country. Was. It uh, was. I think uh, there were orchestras after us who also had difficulties and work stoppages of various kinds. And they were using Detroit as a model of how to get out of it when it's over. Mm. And those orchestras have gone on to be successful now. They're all on their ways. But they've all learned that you have to find the path to lead the orchestra, first and foremost, for what it means to the community. And that's where you go back to the name of the orchestra. If we're the Detroit Symphony, our first responsibility is to Detroit. Mm. It would be the same for any orchestra. My guest is Leonard Slatkin, music director of the Detroit Symphony Orchestra for, what, a couple more days? 
Yeah. And then, no, I think actually officially through the end of August. Oh, okay. And then I become in case conductor laureate. But you're headed to uh, St. Louis. We're headed there. It was where my grandparents settled, coming from Russia, as illegal immigrants. Huh. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather, there, there was a, a fairly good-sized Russian community at the beginning of the 20th century, so my grandfather uh, became a barber, or he was a barber, brought his skills that way. My dad was born there and for three years served as the assistant concertmaster of the orchestra. I was there for 27 years in various subsidiary posts and then 17 years as music director. And my son was born there. So I have a lot of friends. It's a lovely community. Not that Detroit isn't. We really seriously considered that. Uh, We also looked at the West Coast and then the fires started hitting and flooding and all that. And I was mm. worried that maybe I have to invest in beachfront property in <laughs> Vegas for this to work. Yikes. Um, but similar to Detroit, the Midwestern part of the country appeals to me in terms of the pace of life. Uh, having all the friends, having, again, like here, very fine medical facilities. But at least for the next four years... Five, if I read it correctly this morning, I don't have to suffer through the designated hitter. I can watch real baseball (laughs) until they, I can't believe this. They're really thinking of changing the rule in the National (laughs) League. No, don't do it. One of our listeners pointed this very item out as one of your failures. I know. Because you you said you were going to change the thinking about the uh, the designated hitter. It didn't work. It it didn't work. It, It, you know, it just, I talked to Miguel about it. You know, he, we, Cabrera came and conducted last year and we had a serious <laughs> discussion right. about it. Yeah. It turned out we were offering them one clarinet player for two players to be named later who would I join see. the orchestra. It seemed logical and that didn't work out either. And after our discussions, they just somehow were convinced that the pitchers were all wimpy and didn't want to hit. I, I was going to wait with the baseball question, but oh, okay. since we're on the subject, uh, is there any chance the Tigers will make the playoffs? Hard to know. You know, you get to the midseason, which we're approaching, and all of a sudden the purse strings open, the pocketbooks come out, and various changes are made. It's a little hard to know. It's, it's easier to make the playoffs now than it was in earlier days because there are more teams that are involved. So, you know, they're, they're, they're still in a fighting chance. So I don't know what will happen if they got to the series and the Cardinals got there. We went back to, what was it, 90? No, when was it, 98? When was that series? Uh, uh, 80. Uh, no, no, no. It was, it? The, the last one was. Oh, with the Cardinals, yeah. 68. No, no, no. No, it was when, when, oh. Rainrod, when Rainrod threw that incredible curveball yeah. the ga- in the game. I was in Sweden during that last game. Huh. I used to have people calling me after every inning. So it was like three in the morning before I found out what happened. We've had a, a number of listeners check in wanting to uh, pass along some good wishes. And, and uh, there's, in fact, uh, on the website, on the DSO website at dso.org slash slatkin10, you can see a whole raft of these things. 
But among WRCJ listeners, uh, Julie in Detroit said, May the joy you have given to all of us return to you. You will remain in our hearts forever. You're welcome back to Detroit any time. Thank you, Julie. That's the fact. Uh, Laura in Windsor said, Totally love Sansan's Carnival of the Animals. (laughs) Our DSO rocks. I'm proud to tell people that my Sundays are booked. I'm going to the DSO. Very good, Laura. And uh, Larry and Stephanie Campbell checked in saying they will never forget the programs we did uh, during the Beethoven Festival. They were able to understand the sheer number and uh, stupendous music creations by Beethoven. Uh, The program gave us a deeper appreciation of all classical music. Thank you. The festivals were what am I? Real joys, because that was markedly different than anything people had come up with here. It was intense work each year. You, you couldn't ask an orchestra to do any more than they did during these times, but they've been very successful for us. I learn a great deal by this sort of total immersion into one composer or one facet of the musical world. And then, as you mentioned, we'll be doing one final festival with me, I guess, and it's in February, devoted to American music. Some of it familiar, some of it lighter, some of it more serious, some new, some old. Uh, We're just now beginning to work on the details of the components that will go, how the lectures are going to work, what kind of music will be presented in the Cube. It'll be great fun. I I saw in the the brochure you're doing Cages 433. Yes. I've done it before. For those who don't know, this is a piece that literally is what its title says, four minutes and 22 seconds, right? 33. 33. Off but, by you know, you, I, well, I take fast your, tempos. Your tempos, I that's right. <laughs> anyway, the piece consists of three movements, and each movement is containing silence. There's no, no music being heard. And the idea, believe it or not, there is a serious principle here, mm-hmm. and that's that silence in itself creates music because you become more aware of the sounds that are happening in your own surroundings. And we're playing the orchestra version, by the way, not the piano version. Of course, Of course. So I encourage people to come, and I'll probably say a few words about it, but we'll have some fun with it. But at the same time, Cage's point is great. And if you think about it, when the Eroica Symphony starts, you have those two E-flat chords on the downbeats, but it's followed by two beats of silence. So those two chords don't mean much unless that silence is there. Mm. Do you need a narrator for that? No, I'm afraid uh, not. Silence. Mm, okay. Silence. Um, and no cell phones. <laughs> no, right. I have one last uh, uh, statement that I want to play for you. I, I was talking with Joshua Bell the other day. Mm. He's got a new album coming out. And at the end of the interview, I was ready to say goodbye, but uh, he spontaneously... Uh, had these words to say about this city and its music director. I just want to say that uh, uh, hi to everyone in Detroit. Detroit sort of holds a special place for me because, well, my mother was born there and we used to travel there as a kid. And your wonderful orchestra and music director, Leonard Slatkin, uh, Slatkin was uh, was one of the first people to take me on tour as a 17-year-old, and I owe a lot to him, and, and he's one of my favorites. And uh, so a big hello to all my friends in Detroit. Thank you, Josh. I don't and know if we're going to see him again. Uh, he's not on the docket for me 
Well, I, this season, but I have a feeling your paths will cross somewhere. I hope so. Uh, and I just want to say uh, how much we valued your time, uh, the great experiences in Orchestra Hall. I remember, you know, when you did the Rachmaninoff second, in the in the second movement, in the slow movement, there it just builds. There's a and and you know what the music is. You know what the the climax is going to be. And you can barely stand it. It was so powerful. It was just great. And one of many, many experiences. And I know our listeners feel the same way. Well, I want to thank WRCJ for being being there for all of us, for the orchestra, for the entire community. Like us, you've had some tough times, too. But here we are. Remember the time when people said, you know, radio is finished? <laughs> and now today, there's more radio than ever if you start counting all those stations around the world you can listen to. So it's alive. And one thing here in Detroit people can be proud of is that this station allows everybody to not only listen to the great music you play, but also to invest within the community to know what's going on in the cultural world. You can't get that a lot of places. And here you keep us informed, you keep us on our toes, and I know that I can listen to you any place in the world. Isn't that something? It is. It's, so, Maestro, Maestro Leonard Slatkin, thank you so much for 10 great years. We look forward to many more years in the future. Uh, we have a, a, a token... I know you need tchotchkes like you need I a need hole in the head. just but, like everybody else. But this is wow. the last Pawabic tile uh, with the wow. 90.9 logo on that it. That is and so nice. Thank you. you can hang wow. on the wall. And regards to you and Cindy, and thank you so much for 10 fantastic years. Thank you so much.